everyone and welcome back to Sightless Fun, a podcast about board game accessibility for people who are blind and visually impaired. I am your host, Ertai Shashko, and today I have the pleasure to talk to Nancy Feldman, yet another blind board game enthusiast. Welcome to the show, Nancy. How are you doing? I'm all right. Uh, it's nice to be here, Ertai. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you very much for accepting my invite. So today, in this episode with Nancy, we're going to talk about the challenges of brailing board games, as well as how braille can improve the accessibility of tabletop games. Before we start, Nancy, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Like, what's your background? Where do you come from? Oh, sure. I'm a mother of four daughters. They're all adults now, but they've been board gaming with me since they were about six or seven. Uh, I'm a software developer for the state of Colorado out here, and I also am the team lead for our team. So I have a team of about seven developers that I work with. And uh, I'm also the fur mom to two cats. And <laughs> <laughs> I also happen to be blind, and I've been blind since birth. I used to be able to see colors and things like that, but now I don't see anything at all. We share the same profession. I'm also a software developer myself, oh. currently trying to adjust. But yeah, that's very nice to hear. So when did you get into board games? Like, Do you remember the first game that got you hooked? Actually, the first game that got me hooked, my aunt... Uh, who was quite an amazing and interesting woman, decided to teach me poker when I was about 11. And uh, so we found, at that time, we found a deck of Braille cards, and we bought it. And I would play with my aunts and uncles. And I remember one time when I was about 13, I won quite a large pot of money, at least for a girl of 13. And hmm. they're like, we're not going to play with you anymore. So that was fun. But... Uh, the family also played, um, we played backgammon, and I had a friend uh, who was also blind who was a very good chess player, and so he taught me chess. Um, he actually was rated, you know, had one of those, Oh, uh, yeah, he, he, he was being trained by some chess professional, I can't remember who. So um, I turned out not to like chess because I was one of those people who uh, he managed to defeat in precisely four moves. And I said, I'll never play chess after that. <laughs> um, but uh, later, what happened is I met my husband-to-be, and he said, we should play board games. And I'm like, well, okay. All I have is Monopoly and the classic game? Scrabble, the, all the brailed games that are out there, right? And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. And so um, <laughs> the first game he showed me was Diplomacy. And, you know, it was this big board and there's no markings on it. And I'm like, how am I going to play this thing? And turned out we used Dymo tape to mark all the spaces on the board so I could see what was, you know, how the map was laid out. It was probably not really necessary because after a few games, um, I learned, you know, Bulgaria borders Greece and Constantinople and, yeah. you know, whatever. And so I didn't need all that and I never touched the board after that. So. But I still have the board with its Dymo taped. Uh, oh, you still spaces. have it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, nowadays, I play on the Judge, and I don't use it, so I just play electronically. I haven't played Diplomacy before. Uh, I remember when I was growing up, I think they released a couple of video games as well, but I never had the chance to play it. One of my older cousins, I remember he was playing it, but I was too young then to learn how to play that. But yeah, that's that's really nice. 
It is my only caution about diplomacy is it's hard on friendships. Just be careful. But yeah, I mean, you ended up marrying your husband. So I, I did, and we it have turned out. Also, you know, it yeah, turned out it turned out well. How often do you play? Like, do you play with your family right now? Do you have any friends or do you have a regular group of people? All of those, all of the above. Um, I play with my family. All of us are board gamers. Like I said, the girls have been gaming since they were six or seven when we bought Magic the Gathering for the first time. So I play with the girls and with their spouses, but we also have a monthly game group that, you know, various of our friends come over. And then I sometimes go to stores and play at game stores. And mm-hmm. then I went just recently to OrcaCon and I actually played in two tournaments there and won one of them. What game yeah. was that? It's a game called Nevermore. And the funny thing is I hadn't played it until the convention. Oh, so it was your first time. It was my first time. And so uh, my daughter, Sammy, who was with me and a friend of ours said, well, let's play it once before the tournament to make sure we know how it works. And then I went on to win. And that was kind of fun. So I even have a trophy. Oh, wow. That's that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was- I'm guessing all of the other players were sighted? They were. Yeah. And I got the standard comments, oh, well, you're playing with marked cards. And I'm like, fine, then I will not touch any deck except for the cards in front of me. And so <laughs> I, I made them shuffle and deal because I'm like, all right, I, I hear you. That's really nice. Um, I was going to ask you about OrcaCon a bit later, but now that you mentioned it, uh, how was the experience there? Uh, did you meet any other blind gamers? Only a friend that came with me. She lives in the Seattle area and she said... She wanted to go, so she came with us, but no one else. There were other gamers there with disabilities, though. Um, I, I went to several panels where Jeremy Crawford, who's the line designer for D&D, was speaking, mm. and there were interpreters there for sign language. Yeah. And so that was pretty cool. And as, as I, I think someone said that there was a all-day sign language gaming, you know, D&D in, in ASL, American Sign Language. That was That was cool, too. Um, but I did not meet any other blind gamers, and so I was a little disappointed about that. Oh, yeah. But the con itself was wonderful. Um, played lots of board games, uh, even played a, a game of D&D. So. Did you get to talk to any like publishers? Like, Did anyone ask you about uh, any accessibility-related questions? Or did you get to playtest a game that's not published or something? No, um, OrcaCon is a little small. It's it's new. And so I did not happen to see any new games. Although I played New York Slice a little bit as I was trying to figure out how I would how I would braille the pizza game. Um, mm-hmm. What they had is they had games on the table that you could check out and play. But of course, none of them came with braille already. And so we had to try to find games that we could test out without, you know, that I had basically had a lot of public information. Right. Right. Because otherwise we had to play the stuff I brought. And I got to tell you, as a a blind gamer, when you pack to go to a convention, uh, at least for me, I brought two suitcases and most of them were full of games. And I just stuffed clothes in the corners. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That was crazy. So I'm assuming you had someone sighted with you or were you just alone with your other blind friends? Like, was it easy to navigate around and... I had my uh, daughter Sammy with me, who's who is sighted. All my daughters are, but uh, you know we went around without her at times too. And sure, it's a little hard to navigate, especially in the crowds. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone is paying attention to our long white canes, and right. so 
you you just have to be a little little cautious. But it was easier, I'll admit, when when Sammy was with us because she could see the obstacles. Um, I'll give a quick plug for um, Ira though, because when I wanted to go through the dealer's hall and see what was for sale, I could take Ira with me and the person on the other end of the call could describe what the, what was on the tables. Mm. And so if say I wanted to buy Sammy something and not tell her in advance, right. right. I could go in there independently and, and find things. So that was nice. That sounds great. I mean, if it was helpful, how does that work exactly? Do you have a camera? Yes. You use the camera on your phone or they send you glasses that you can use that has a camera on Mm. one of the earpieces. And so, you can um, put those on and you can walk around and they see what you're, what you would be seeing if you could see. And so um, it's, it's pretty cool. Oh, awesome. So before we move on to talking about Brailing games, I'm quite curious about uh, what your current favorite game is. It's a tough question. And I've thought about this for a while and it's still a tough question. Um, On the one hand, I would say Dominion. It's been my long-term favorite. I like deck building games and, I like Dominion because it's different every time and you have to puzzle it out. So you look at those 10 cards that are available each this game and you try to figure out how are they going to work together to create the best engine. And yeah. I really enjoy that. Um, most recently, however, we uh, one uh, my daughter, her um, board game geek Secret Santa got her near and far. Oh, yes. And we love that game. We we just played the heck out of it over Christmas, and it was wonderful. So I doubt her Santa is listening, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we, we probably played six or seven games, and we're about ready to start again. Right now, we're in Girl Scout cookie season, and hmm. so my granddaughter is selling Girl Scout cookies. And so there isn't quite as much gaming going on this month uh, until that's done, because Emily has decided she wants to sell a thousand boxes of Girl Scout cookies. Great job, Emily. Keep it up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the spirit. Yep. I'm also quite curious about your process of learning games. Do you learn by yourself or do you have a sighted person teach you? Like, what do you prefer? Actually, I'm the one who's more likely to read the rules before we play because I read them before I start brailing a game so -hmm. that I can figure out what's important in the game. And so typically what happens is I read the rules, I braille the game, and then I teach everybody else how to play. So that's generally how it works. I'm I'm fortunate in that everybody in the household is a gamer. Yeah. And so if they don't understand, they'll ask. Also, we do make sure even when I'm instructing, I'm like, okay, have you picked up these cards or have you picked up these cubes? And where did you put them? Just And that way I just try to be as precise as I can when teaching. But the other thing that happens is if they're uncertain, they'll just pick up the print rule book. And often the print rule book has pictures. Yes. And so they will look at that if they don't understand something I'm telling them. Those pictures in the print rule books are the, I don't know, the worst part about digital rule books, especially those graphics where they have like lines sticking out. And for instance, some of the rule books have letters like A is, I don't know, player deck, B, infection deck. And when you go through the digital rule book, oh my God. I know. It makes it so hard. And then I'm obsessive, so I tend to edit the the rule book and clean out all that stuff, but that takes extra time too. 
I recently found a website where this guy uh, is making a project. Um, he's creating uh, rule books in Markdown. So he ignores everything that's image related graphics and just grabs the raw text and really? writes it down in Markdown, which converts it to HTML. And oh. it's quite fast to uh, navigate the rule book. Basically, you have the headings and everything. So it's pretty neat. And I hope he can join me on the show and talk about it because he accidentally has created something that can be very useful for us blind gamers. Absolutely. So I'm all in. If you can send me the URL, that'd be great. Yeah, I, I will. I definitely will. I post it in the show notes as well okay. for others to interested in checking it out. Uh, sorry for the technical terms that I use there, but what you need to get out of that is that it's very useful for navigating with a screen reader. Okay, so let's let's move on to railing games. Could you Tell us how blind people read Braille in case I'm, most of our listeners are probably familiar what Braille is, but could you just give us a brief overview of what Braille is and how you read it? Oh, sure. Uh, Braille is a system of raised dots. So each character or symbol is comprised of uh, some number of six dots. So there are three dots on the left of a cell and three dots on the right. And so, for instance, your letter A might be the top left dot, while Q is all three dots on the left side and the top two on the right. And so each of those combinations forms a different shape, and you read those shapes with your fingertips. And uh, Braille also has symbols for certain common groups of characters like T-H-E. And so uh, that helps to compact it, because Braille already takes up a lot of space, which you'll hear about again in this podcast, I'm sure, because it's one of my big challenges with Braille. So you use these symbols. You might use uh, the symbol for the or the symbol for AR to help uh, take up less space. And um, you just read them with your fingertips. I learned Braille in kindergarten when my peers were learning print. So I went to a public school and mm. we would... You know, I'd be in the regular classes reading Janet and Mark, which was our equivalent to Dick and Jane, and um, <laughs> and they would be reading, uh, they'd be reading print, and I'd be reading Braille. Could you share your process of Brailling games? Like, do you purchase uh, already Braille accessibility kits, or do you Braille your own games? Mostly, I braille my own games. Uh, the first access accessibility kits I saw were from. Oh, now I can't think of his name. Sixty-four uh, ounce games. Sixty-four ounce games. Richard. Yeah. Richard. All I could think of was Richard, and then I was like, "What's his last name?" Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and they. I didn't see those, of course, until I think a couple years ago, right? And yeah. I did buy a few of his, but they take a bit of time between both me and a sighted person to get all the stickers applied to the sleeves and then the cards in the right sleeves. And so I'd been brailing games for many years by then on my own. And so I, I don't tend to use the accessibility kits. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, I go and buy the game, usually from Amazon or from Cool Stuff or someplace like that. And then while the game is, is on its way to me, I go find the rules online and most of the time nowadays, the rules are in a format I can read, although some of the rules are still um, scanned image, and yeah. I can't read those. The worst. So I have a reader read those. Yeah, those are the worst. And then 
by the time the game gets here, I usually have some idea of how I want to braille it. And I will usually sit down with a reader and we'll, you know, separate out components and um, determine what needs to be brailled, what doesn't need to be brailled. And then, uh, for instance, oftentimes what needs to be brailled are the cards. And if there's a lot of card text on them, well, I mean, the reader's going to read the card text and I'm going to transcribe it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to think about how I want to put that on the card because the card text won't fit on the card. I mean, it, yeah. there's just not enough room. Braille's too big. Those are and, some of the problems, I guess. Oh, yeah. So um, oftentimes what I do is put some kind of number on the card. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want the number to be as expressive and useful to me as it can. So I don't know. I'll use some. Um, there's a game called Epic Spell Wars. And it has, oh, it has qualities. And it has, um, I think they're creatures or whatever. And... Um, and so I make sure that the number is something like Q22, which means it's the 22nd quality, right? So I already know, looking at a card, that it's a quality, right? Mm-hmm. And I get as much information onto the card as I can because one of the concerns I have when I'm playing is I don't want to slow down the game. I don't want to be, it comes to Nancy's turn and it takes 10 minutes. Uh-uh. Everyone, cigarette break. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't want it to be like that. And so I try to play as quickly as I can. But in order to do that, I have to put as much information on the card as I can. So for instance, on a Magic the Gathering card, I'm going to have that number that tells me, well, it's a blue card, and it's the 22nd blue card you've brailled. And But then it's also going to have the casting cost. And if it's a creature, it's going to have its power and toughness. I mean, just things that I'm going to need to reference quickly. Right. Yeah. And so um, then I braille the cards and we also have to figure out, you know, are there other things we need to braille? Bomb Squad Academy, for instance, has these tokens that tell you, did you disarm the bomb or did you make it explode? Right. Okay. And so the card, the token says either okay or boom. The problem is that the tokens are too thick to braille. Oh, yes. And yeah, I can't I can't I can't do it. So what we decided to do, it's it's a little awkward, but we put each token in a sleeve. Mm-hmm. And I put okay or boom on the sleeve. Oh right. Now I wasn't going to do that at all, but we talk about one of the problems you have is if if information can be private, right, mm-hmm. then I need to have a way to access it. So for instance, one of the powers in the game of Bomb Squad Academy lets you look at the face-down tiles and see whether the next one is a boom or an okay. Okay, yeah. And that's not information that the other people at the table would get, and so I need to be able to look. Otherwise, if it was just, well, whenever you flip it up, it reveals, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, couldn't you have just used something like, uh, I don't know, transparent tape? Just to mark, for instance, OKs and leave the booms alone? So just something yeah. tactile? <laughs> we we probably could have, but... Um, you, and I actually have two Dymo tape labelers, but, you know, I couldn't find them. And so I was just like, oh, well, this is what we're going to do because we want to play. Yeah. Right. Usually, I mean, the, my most used tool is just normal cello tape. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. When you mentioned like um, 
in Magic the Gathering, for instance, uh, referencing the cards and everything. It's also important, like, if you play many different games, I mean, sure, you will come up with some kind of uh, mental code, like, to reference things. But I'm guessing when you play more games, you tend to forget, like, for instance, I have marked my Colt Express cards with ordinary tape. For instance, I mark the card to move up or down. I've put a sticker in the center middle. Uh, sorry, uh, top center of the card. To move left, right, I have it on the right side of the card. The gun is uh, bottom uh, right corner, for instance. Oh. And I mean, just I have coded the tape with something that I can reference the cards. But if I don't play it long enough, I tend to forget like was top corner the gun or was it the loot card so i first before we start need to just remind myself or <laughs> the better idea would be just to write that down and then go through it uh, before starting to play and it's also a mental like you need to do additional mental math basically it's not math but <laughs> you work on it rather than just focusing on what other players are doing in the game and trying to come up with a strategy. So you have an additional layer of things to calculate about. You do. And I had to chuckle because I've had this problem recently. We pulled out a game, I think it was in the Year of the Dragon, that I'd brailed, oh my gosh, years and years ago. And I couldn't remember what all my symbols meant. And so now what I try to do is um, after I braille a game, I scribble some notes to myself mm -hmm. that says, this is what this means. And that's what that means. Yeah. yeah that's, that's the smart thing to do because yeah, the more you play different games and then come back to revisit ones that you've already like brailed or marked in a way, <laughs> you need to just remind yourself of what you meant at the time when you were marking the cards. Absolutely, because I have over 200 games here, and I think probably about 175 of them are brailed right now. Um, maybe more. I'd have to go through and look. And so it's a lot to remember. I, there's no way I could remember it all. Do you buy sleeves uh, for all of your games that you braille? Uh, because, for instance, I don't think I will ever sell Colt Express, but I didn't want to put cello uh, tape on top of the cards, so I decided to buy some sleeves for the cards, just in case I want to resell them later and just to keep that value. <laughs> That's fair, and, and that makes me think of a story I'll tell you now. Um, for, so first, no, I don't buy for everything. Um, a lot of my... I, I like things like trick-taking card games and that kind of thing. And for a lot of those, I just braille on the card. But, mm -hmm. you know, years and years ago, when I first started playing Magic, I uh, was at Oricon, which was a science fiction convention in Oregon, where I was living at the time. Mm -hmm. And someone said, hey, I bought these cards, but I don't think I like Magic the Gathering, so I'll sell you a complete set for $100. Oh, sure, we like this game. And these turned out to be alpha and beta set cards. And I didn't even think about it. Back then, I i mean, I, I, I just didn't think about it. I brailled them all. I put braille on all the cards, the Black Lotus, all the mocks, everything. And then later, I learned that I could have sold the set for thousands of dollars, but it was oh, wow. worth absolutely nothing. nothing oh, wow. Because of the braille. So... 
I do play Magic now, but not to the extent that I did back then. Um, you know, I used to buy every expansion as it came out and, you know, buy three boxes of the uh, expansion booster packs so that I could yeah. get all the cards, right? I don't do that anymore, but even so, I sleeve all my Magic cards, everything, because I just, I can't do it. Yeah, during uh, our back and forth uh, on Twitter, you did mention that you have Sagrada in your collection. I do. Uh, we talked about Sagrada with Jed uh, back in episode two, and we weren't really quite sure how playable Sagrada would be for someone who is completely blind. Uh, we, I, I believe we mentioned something like using an Excel spreadsheet if you really, really want to play it. But you did mention to me that you can play that game blind. Would you mind sharing uh, what modifications you did to the game so it's more accessible to the blind? Sure. Uh, that's actually a game where I didn't braille any of the cards because all of the cards are... Uh, oh, okay, I did braille the goals because the goals are private information. Yeah. But... Everything else is public information. What I did, though, is for each of the stained glass designs, it has a pattern. So it shows you um, this has to be a blue. You have to put a blue one here or a six here. And then for the white spaces, you know that you can put anything there. So I I have a, a map that shows each of those. So it, my line might say blue, six, white, three, yellow. Okay. Right. And then the next line below it has the next pattern and, and so on and so forth. So when I choose one of these to play, I copy it to an empty file. I, I use a Braille sense to play games mm-hmm. and I copy it to an empty file. And then as uh, it's my turn to pick a die, I, just like everyone else, I look at, well, I need a blue one. And I there's a, there's a blue six here. And so that's going to be better than a blue two. So I'm going to take that blue six and then I change well, that, that used to say blue, and now I just write six, right? Mm. Or I, I write blue six there. And so now I know I have a blue six there. And uh, I've actually won at Sagrada, so it works just fine. But, you know, it's it's just one more thing. So I just, as soon as I pick my die, I write down what it was. And also, the Sagrada, the window that you put your cards in, mm-hmm. has raised spaces where you can put your dice. So I can even place my own die, right? Because I know, right. well, it goes in the third space on the top row. And so I can reach down and put it there. So none of that's a problem. Um, I do have to play with other sighted people because um, I can't tell what color the dice are. Right. right? And so the other thing we do, that's a modification is whoever rolls the dice, as soon as they've sorted them out, um, they list off all of the dice that were rolled. And I write those down. Mm -hmm. And then as somebody picks a die, I cross it off so that I know what was the device that you used? It's a Braille Sense. It's it's an electronic note taker. Mm, I see. I have it in front of me right now, and I have it has my scribbled notes to help me remember answers, that kind of thing. So it displays the Braille on the display. So it raises the pins. Right. It has pins, and yeah, it raises them for each different cell, and um, that's how I read Braille on this. And it has all the card text for all the cards and all the games that I have Brailled so far. Well, it's, um, it's, it's, awesome. it's awesome. So you already mentioned some common problems that you encounter when brailing, for instance, the tokens that you talked about, about Bomb Squad. What are some other problems? Like, uh, have you had any problems with uh, long descriptions? 
we'll use Pathfinder, the adventure card game, as an example. Mm -hmm. Uh, That game has a lot of text on the cards. Oh, my gosh. And um, that text will not – I could not braille it all on the card. Uh, The cards are too small. and I know they're standard-sized, but they're still too small. Yeah. And so that's where I just write a card number on the card. And then I have a file that has that number – and then I write down all of the card text associated with that card. So I look up that number and I can read the entirety of the card text. Now, um, that's one of those where I always worry that I slow things down because in Pathfinder, you often have a hand of several cards and you're trying to build a strategy for how you're going to defeat whatever thing is in front of you right now. And so um, what I try to do because you tend to play the same character for a while, is start to memorize the cards that are going to typically appear in my deck so that I don't have to look them up each time. Yeah. Um, but even so, there I think there's a little bit of a lag as I as yeah. I play. More mental Fortunately, <laughs> Yes, like you said, um, there's, there's always one more layer for us because we're trying to you know, keep track of things that, you know, that, that are, that are difficult that other people don't have to, cause they can just look at the card. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned problems with brailing games. Sometimes it's not even that we can braille information. We can have everything available and still sometimes it's tough. Um, I'll give you an example of a game that probably people have heard of a uh, ticket to ride. Yeah. Um, okay. I know that to go from, Portland to Salt Lake City is six blue. Fine, I know that I can collect six blue and 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 do that, right? Um, or Portland to Seattle's one gray. Fine, you know. But a- as I'm building my routes, other people are building their routes too. Oh yeah, right. And people are buying things on the board that I might need later. And if I don't somehow keep track of that, then I have to ask questions. Yeah. Okay, and any question I ask is likely to give something away about my hand. So if I say, well, what paths are left into New Orleans, right? Then... Yeah. Oh, Nancy's going... To New Orleans, right? Yeah. And so um, what I have started to do in recent plays of Ticket to Ride is every time somebody buys something, I write it down. James bought, you know, New uh, New Orleans to Miami or whatever, right? And that helps. Does that slow down the game? No, uh, not typically, unless I forget. Like, occasionally I forget to do it, and then I'm like, oh, what did people buy? But no, it doesn't. The the Braille sense is really quick. One of the other challenges is I typically pay readers to help me Braille games, and so that's a a process that can get expensive. Um, I could use my family to help me Braille games, but when, because all of us are, I mean, we all work full time and, all of that. When they have free time, I want to play games instead of braille games, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so I use readers a lot to help me braille games. So that gets expensive. The other thing is um, sometimes I buy a game and um, because brailing a game can take a long time, um, sometimes I have games that have been around for a long time that I haven't actually brailed. You know, maybe uh, it was a shiny purchase, which meant, oh, it looked good at the time. And then I buy something else that looks more interesting. And so that gets brailed first. And eventually this this game that I bought just keeps moving down the queue and doesn't get brailed. And so that's why I have, when I tell you I have 200 plus games and maybe only 175 brailed, it's because 
the whole process takes time. Right. And so that can be very, very frustrating, especially if somebody else really wants to play the game. And then they say to me, well, you know, can you braille this first? And I'm like, well, okay, fine. But then other things <laughs> just, just slide down the queue. Um, so that's a little, a little frustrating. Um, also, sometimes I braille a game and then only after playing it, do I realize that, oh, I should have brailled this game differently. So as an example, seven wonders, Mm-hmm. That one I could fix, but for instance, there are cards that you only use in three-player games, or four-player games, or five-player games. Various uh, right. the way Seven Wonders works, it's like that. Um, and also, there are cards that are only used in the first age, or the second, or the third. And I didn't braille any of that information on the card, which means that I can't help sort and put things away because I don't know where things go. Um, oh so yeah. That's a minor example, but I, I brailed something recently where I think I used the colors of the cards when it turned out that the suits of the cards were more valuable information. Mm-hmm. And and so I was just sort of annoyed that I missed that. And <laughs> Yeah. Usually if you don't really try the game to play it for a couple of times before, you don't find the most efficient way, I guess on what needs to be marked and what's more important. And yeah, I see how that can be um, a bit frustrating. (laughs) It can be. Uh, Another example that I actually could go back and fix. um, When I first started brailing Dominion, I didn't have a braille writer. Um, Mm -hmm. A braille writer, uh, for those who might not know, is a machine that looks, well, no, it doesn't look like it, it. It's similar to a typewriter, but it has only... A few keys, because again, Braille is a combination of six dots, right? So it's got six keys and a space bar. And uh, I didn't have one for a long time. And so I was Brailling cards with a slate and stylus. And um, that's a very manual effort where you take the stylus and um, you put the card in in between two pieces of metal to hold it in place. And you punch, uh, use the stylus to punch the Braille onto the card. And yeah, so... Sounds slow. It is slow and it's painful. I used to have, I kid you not, calluses from brailing games, especially games like Dominion that had like 500 cards. So so for games like Dominion, all I wrote on the card was the name of the card. Yes. Okay. Because I just didn't have the energy and I, I just would have destroyed my hands to braille. Well, like it gives you two extra actions or it gives you two extra coins. And mm-hmm. so I didn't do all that. Um, that information, if you want me to play quickly, really should have been on the card. Yeah, right. right. And so I really need to go back now that I do have a Braille writer. This one I wouldn't need sighted assistance for because I already know the information, right? It's in me. It's all written down in the Braille sense. So <laughs> I would just go back and take all those cards, okay, you know, and add that information to the card. But I have not done that because the uh, time and I think there are several thousand Dominion cards now. One thing that I should share here is that one Redditor in the blind subreddit on one of my posts, he shared that he has created a website for specifically for Dominion. So accessible with a screen reader. Uh, I believe he's a web accessibility engineer and he, uh, he really loves to play Dominion. So he created a website where all he would need is the name of the card. And uh, he has 
created tables, well, not tables, but different pages for, I don't know, different sets of cards. So you can very quickly access the full text of the card using your phone, let's say voiceover on your sure. iPhone, because yeah, he has marked headings and everything, and he can just quickly jump through and yeah, read the full description after touching uh, the card, so the braille uh, on the card to read the name and just scroll down to that card using his phone. See, that's awesome too. Yeah, that's another yeah. way to go. Yeah, I'll uh, definitely put the link in the show notes as well and also send it to you so you can yeah. check it out. One of the things that makes me sad is a lot of these uh, board game companies are now also releasing apps for their games. And many of the apps are not accessible. Yeah. And I, that's really frustrating because I would play them. I, I would I would play them a lot if I could play with other people across the country and actually be able to to see everything I needed to know to play. Yes. Um, because sometimes, for instance, I do not think my family has the same passion I do for Dominion, so I don't get to play it as often as I would like. Mm-hmm. And if I could play it <laughs> online, I right. You wouldn't see me anymore, Erte. I'd just be like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to go play Dominion. This is all my free time. This is what I would do with it. So, um, also, similarly, I think there's an app for Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, which I would I would play. I like that game a lot. And again, my family doesn't have the same zeal. Tastes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, they... <laughs> You know, they they want to play things more like uh, Sagrada and Seasons and and things like that, and I'm fine with those games too. Um, but I, if I could play, you know, remotely, that'd be awesome. And I, I appreciate there are obviously various designers out there who are doing some accessible games, but not really anything like I want to hit the table, right? Yeah. I, and so I feel really bad because my friends are like, "Well, why don't you play this or why don't you play that?" No, I want to play Seven Wonders, or I want to play Teachu. Oh my gosh, I want to play Teachu. Um, and Teachu seems like it would be very simple to make accessible, because it's cards, right? And it's a, a suit and a number, or maybe like the Hound or something, right? And I'm like, please, just just make it accessible so I can flip through my hand like everybody else and select a card. And yeah. I don't understand. I, I suppose that most people just don't think about it. Yeah, I mean, because there's not too many games and sometimes I really get the itch like, to play something with someone else, like not alone. So I was going through the App Store and Googling about games compatible with VoiceOver, the screen reader mm-hmm. on iOS, and I found Dice World. So uh, I'm going to play Yahtzee. And uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a huge, uh, let's say, so if we say... King of New York or King of Tokyo is a horse. Yeah, right. is, I don't know. Uh, well, I don't want to offend anyone, but uh, maybe a donkey. <laughs> so going from a horse <laughs> to a donkey. <laughs> I was thinking more like guinea pig. Oh. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's exactly right. You know, I don't, I mean, I can play Yahtzee, but why? And, uh, you know, there are so many, I mean, there are even Yahtzee-like games that are better, um, yeah. And and so it's very frustrating when my option is Yahtzee. And I'm sorry if I, like you, I'm sorry if I offend anyone here, right? It's just, I want to play something a bit more challenging. Okay, so you mentioned long descriptions. Mm-hmm. Have you had any problems with putting the games back 
in the box after you braille them. I've seen a Magic the Gathering video where one guy was brailing his magic cards and he showed the deck like it was skewed <laughs> to one side <laughs> because and it was much more bulky. So he yes. needed a larger box to carry it. So I'm assuming you're also having those issues with your games because let's say like most games, even if you just put sleeves, they can, don't fit in the box or insert anymore. So Correct. with braille should be a bigger problem. It's even worse, yes. And so either, um, sometimes when I've bought a deck that, you know, a pre-built deck for Magic, um, you sleeve it and you braille it, and if you take out everything else that was in the box, because sometimes they have, like, life token markers and things like that, you can still fit the cards in there. But oftentimes you can't, and so you have to decide what you're going to do about that. Sometimes I... Um, depending on the game and how protective I am of it, I might put it in a Ziploc bag. Uh, I've been known to put the whole box in a large Ziploc bag because the box will no longer close. And this way I can be pretty sure I'm not going to lose the cards. Um, but, or I have to get larger boxes and, you know, put the games in there. There are lucky happenstances sometimes. Um, i was I the last Kickstarter for Sentinels of the Multiverse, uh, mm. Oblivion? They had a beautiful, beautiful custom box for all of your Sentinels cards, and it came with enough extra room that even with Braille on the cards, everything fits. And so I just adore that box. And they didn't do it for accessibility. I get that, but I love them anyway for it because yeah. I can fit all my cards in there. Mm, that's great. Um, it is. And then someone, uh, my son-in-law, made a. Um, big dominion box for me and so we put all of the dominion cards we had in there and that worked great until i bought the last two expansions for dominion <laughs> and so now they're in their own still still in their expansion boxes because they don't fit in the ginormous box that oh. we got well, so it's very sad we need a bigger uh, box <laughs> yes <laughs> so um but yes it does make it difficult also um, sleeved braille cards or sleeve or brailed cards in general don't shuffle as well. Oh yes. Yeah, and so they're just there are just some challenges that come with brailing them. Yeah, so it's not just I mean you don't really solve everything like by saying oh just braille your games. Like, right. You don't really think about introducing dozens of other problems that arise from brilliant games. That's exactly true. And, you know, a another one that I haven't mentioned, but um, should be kept in mind, some of these cards are absolutely gorgeous, right? Yeah. They have lovely art. And those are the kinds of things I'm likely to sleeve and braille the sleeves because even I, I yeah, I can't see the art, but I understand that, you know, somebody paid beautiful, you know, paid artists to do beautiful work and I don't want to ruin those cards. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my earlier episodes where I talk about print and play games, I mentioned that some of the cards don't come with the finished art. And mm -hmm. it's interesting that to us that are blind, we don't really care for that. I mean, you don't even need text on the cards. It can just be the same card, like just a white blank card. And if someone tells me this is your, I don't know, skull and this is your rose and that's enough right. for me. <laughs> This is a skull and this is a rose. So, yeah, but uh, if you do that for all your games, <laughs> you won't be able to find players. So Exactly, yeah. So. Yeah. You also need to worry about how the game looks on the table and everything, even though you can't really see it. 
Yes, and that's that's really true. Going back to Sagrada, I'm told that it's just beautiful. Right? Yeah. And and so I didn't I couldn't braille anything on those cards. I just there was there was no point, right? Mm. Because I didn't want to mar the the perfection, right? It, yeah. And no. it really no. is about making beautiful designs. Um the my daughters when they play, they'll take pictures of their completed designs and, and post them to Facebook and things like that because yeah. they look so cool. So mm. Do you have any tips or advice for someone who would like to build their games? I don't know, to improve their process, to make it more efficient or anything like that? If you haven't brailed games before, I'd say start small. Um, you know, start with an easy, what looks to be an easy game to braille um, that should give you a lot of fun. E- example, Sushi Go Party. Um, all you really need to write on the cards is the name of the card. Um, and so you do that and it's, it's quick to braille. It's easy. And yet uh, I found that most people enjoy sushi go party. Right. Mm, yeah. And then once you get started, I'd advise you read your rules first. Cause as I said, this isn't, isn't something I always did before. Read all your rules first, get a sense of how the game plays. Cause that's going to show you what information you need to braille. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say, I, um, you know, I would, I would say, having experienced using both a slate and stylus and a brailler, if you have a brailler, please use your brailler. It's going to give you crisper braille and it's going to be easier on your hands. It's going to be faster. And you're also more likely to, I don't know, braille sort of evenly um, across and, and get straight lines of braille and that kind of thing. I just have found the, the, the brailler to be better. If you're worried about artwork, buy sleeves. If you don't want to mess up the the, the card, um, and just remember there are different sizes of sleeves, just like there are different sizes of cards. So make sure you get the right size for the cards um, you're using. The other thing I'd advise you to do if you're really gonna braille a lot of games is start learning about the different kinds of games. There are tile placement games, there are deck building games, there are trick taking games, right? There are dexterity games. Okay, so we haven't talked about dexterity games. I don't play them. Uh, I got conned into one dexterity game with my grandkids and I was terrible at it. Okay, (laughs) now they thought it was funny, Um, (laughs) but I was terrible at it. So that's my choice, right? I don't braille, braille dexterity games. Well, first of all, there's typically not much to braille. Right. Um, but I'm not good at them, so I play to amuse other people. Um, <laughs> but I would I would learn about the different types of games out there. Learn what you like, right? Um, if you want trick-taking games, those are pretty easy to braille. The, the way the game companies deal with those is they try to come up with clever new variations on trick-taking games. But essentially, it's still down to cards and suits they might be colors or different animal groups or whatever but it's still suits of cards and and tricks for the most part right but if you want to play a tile placement game and i don't play a lot of those either because the board tends to tends to change every game and that can be hard to cope with um so if you're going to try and play tile placement games you need to come up with a strategy um and i i don't have one right but if if you if you're going to play that, you need to think about how that's going to work and how you cope with the fact that it's going to change every time. Um, 
and one of the things I do, uh, if I'm allowed to give other plugs out here. Um, yeah, go ahead. I listen to the Dice Tower podcast every week. Yeah. Um, they, they talk about the games they're playing. And it is by no means a game or a podcast that talks about you know how, how these games work for blind people. But by their description of the game, you can usually tell mm-hmm. whether this is going to work for you or not. Yeah. So um, you can also get that from written reviews. And uh, aside from the Dice Tower podcast, they produce a bunch of uh, reviews you can find on YouTube that are just good for giving you an indication, you know, is this game going to be one I can adapt? If any of our listeners would like to contact you and ask you any questions, uh, can you share your Twitter handle or email? Uh, and we'll put that in the show notes. Sure. Uh, my Twitter handle is Laura Vara, which is L-O-R-A-V-A-R-A. And you can reach me by email at lauravara at gmail.com. And uh, I've kept, I keep telling myself, I'm going to blog about this. I'm going to write about the, the games I play and what work, which ones work well after I've brailed them and which ones don't. But I never seem to do it. So um, if you'd be interested in seeing me do that, let me know, because that's one of my hurdles, because I keep saying, oh, nobody would read that if I if I wrote about that. So if you think I'm wrong, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. And also, uh, please also let me know if you liked this talk and would like to see more, and then I can perhaps bully Nancy into coming again for another episode. (laughs) I'd be happy to. (laughs) Nancy, thank you so much for joining me on this show. Well, thank you for having me. This has been awesome. Yeah, it, it was, it was really great to talk to you. I really enjoyed this chat and it was quite informative as well. If you have any questions for me, on the other hand, you can send me an email at sightlessfun at outlook.com. You can also check us out on Twitter at sightlessfun or check our website at www.sightless.fun. Thank you very much for listening. And remember, you can still have fun while being sightless. This episode was hosted by Ertai Shashko and edited by Alpai Shashko. We'd also like to extend our special thanks to Fighting Windmills for allowing us to use their music in our podcast. You can find them at fightingwindmillsmk.bandcamp.com. <laughs>